Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students, where today's stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. I'm your host, Yojin Patel. Today, we'll hear from Dr. Martin Samuels, Chairman of the Department of Neurology at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston and Professor of Neurology at Harvard Medical School. A leading authority on the relationships between neurology and general medicine and one of the foremost medical educators in the country, Dr. Samuels has also hosted a number of programs on ReachMD. We'll be airing the whole interview in three episodes on Radio Rounds. This week, Dr. Samuels discusses the importance of errors in medicine. Dr. Samuels, you presented a series of your own errors with uh, Dr. Alan Roper at the American Neurological Association. What was the motivation behind that, and what, w- what was it received like? It seems so striking to stand in front of an audience of your colleagues and talk about your errors. It does seem odd, doesn't it? The, uh, the, the origin of it is the, what I would call the error hy- hysteria, which started in 1999 when there was a report of the Institute of Medicine which argued that uh, medical errors were a huge problem for, uh, for Americans, presumably worldwide also, but this was an American uh, Institute of Medicine report, which argued that medical errors were responsible for an enormous number of deaths, more deaths than auto accidents and breast cancer and a number of other very common diseases combined. Uh, this was supposed to be an introspective study meant for medical doctors, but it got into the press and it was taken, I think, the wrong way. Uh, not the way it was meant by the general public and by the medical public. And it uh, translated into a a sort of a culture of self-hatred where people began to uh, think that that we doctors and that we doctors ourselves bought into it were hurting more people than we're helping. Now, obviously, we are all making errors. Errors are, are unpreventable. And not only that, errors have, a, have an advantage. They allow us to, to learn something and to move forward so that even though we obviously try not to make errors, we should analyze the errors we do make and try to understand why we made them so we can improve. Uh, so in that context, uh, Alan Roper and I, who are partners in neurology here at the uh, Brigham Women's in Boston, uh, decided we would just begin to co- collect prospectively our errors. So uh, we each made an icon, we put it on our desktop, and whenever we recognized we had made an error, we dropped the case or a summary of the case into the, de-identified of course, into the, uh, into the file. And then after we collected a certain number of these cases, we put them together into various presentations, and uh, we actually asked one of our colleagues, a woman named Barbara Vickery, who is an, uh, an expert in uh, cognitive psychology, she's a neurologist at UCLA, to look at these for us, help us to understand the nature of the errors. We divided them by category of error and presented them, and we tried it out on our colleagues at the American Neurological Association, which is the senior society. So this is the group of associate professors and professors at the national meeting. We turned up at the meeting, and we got uh, maybe 300 of these uh, very senior neurologists into a room uh, all together, 
Uh, we told them in advance that we were going to present errors, and we alternately presented cases in, in real time. So we presented little bits of the case as the case presented, and we encouraged them to participate with us to try to make the diagnosis. And, of course, what we found is they also made the errors. And then uh, Barbara Vickery, our colleague, analyzed the source of the error, and we discussed the source of the error, and then ultimately what, what you might do to prevent that category of error. So that's how it went. People actually loved it. They, they enjoyed it. And uh, by the next year, when we re- did it the second time, shockingly, these professors were writing us and saying, can I present my errors at the meeting uh, this year? So people can be convinced that it's, that it's valuable and not frightening to talk about your own errors. Before you presented, I, I have to ask, was it, of course, you're a senior neurologist, you have a lot of experience treating patients and academically as well, but I have to ask, standing in front of a crowd of very experienced neurologists and talking about mistakes that you've made, what was that like? Was it difficult or was it easy? Did it just come naturally? It wasn't too difficult. I tried it out a couple of times uh, here locally. We did a couple of grand rounds uh, with our own colleagues here. And I'm, I'm not that intimidated in public uh, speaking, so I'm, I'm comfortable uh, anyway. And I've always been comfortable telling people about my mistakes. I'm not really afraid to uh, try to decide what something is and realize that you might very well be wrong. Uh, I've always enjoyed uh, clinical pathological conferences where you can look at a case in detail, realizing that uh, you certainly were, uh, were out on a limb and could be making a mistake. But I actually think that the brain works in such a way that if you want to really get better and if you really want to remember important concepts, they have to have a limbic valence. By by that I mean they have to have some emotional attachment of some sort. So I try to encourage my younger colleagues to commit themselves to, uh, to, when they look at a case, say what you think it is. Don't be afraid to be wrong. And I was just sort of practicing what I preach by doing that, and I, I really don't mind it at all. Considering some of the other uh, interviews that we've had on the show and in discussing with senior attendings that I've worked with, it seems like something like what you what you had done at this conference would have been a lot harder to do maybe a couple of decades ago. Do you think some, the culture is changing in medicine, or is it just that people are trying things like this out more now? I don't know. I, I'm not really a believer in dramatic changes in the culture. I, I know we, you hear people talking about how the culture is changing, uh, but I think if you read history uh, carefully, there hasn't been that much change. There's, there, uh, I think good doctors, academic doctors who have been critical, uh, have always done this. So if you read the writings of, uh, say, Joseph Babinski, who was one of my great heroes, he was uh, constantly in doubt about uh, hypotheses that he generated. Uh, he was always questioning them, always trying to... Um, Make it make a better estimate of reality. Kinyer Wilson, S. A. Kinyer Wilson, was another one who was uh, like that. Uh, Hewlings Jackson, most of these people. Uh, so I don't think it's new. I, I think it is. Uh, it, it's actually bringing back to life a classical old way of learning. Instead of depending on received knowledge, which is what I think, unfortunately, too many people do now. They'll they look things up in textbooks or online, and that received knowledge is just assumed to be correct. 
rather than doing that, I think what, what we're doing with this heiress thing is to actually going back to an old-fashioned way of doing it and to say, here's a hypothesis that I have about this, but I actually am not sure about it. I'm open to, to being wrong. And if I am wrong, what have I learned uh, this time uh, with this particular category of error? You mentioned earlier that errors have a role in, in learning, uh, that, errors, that there's some benefit to be drawn from errors. Uh, I know you mentioned earlier, not in this interview, that, a, that an error-free culture is completely stagnant. Can you describe what you're saying that there could be something good coming out of errors? Well, I think it comes back to uh, the concepts of, of genetics and evolution. If the purpose of a gene is to reproduce itself, of, of course, and it tries to reproduce itself perfectly, but we all know that the system is not perfect and that there are errors. We call these errors mutations. Most mutations are not beneficial, and uh, they don't reproduce themselves well, and they, because the environment does, is not amenable to them, and they die out. But if there are millions upon millions of mutations, just by chance, some of these mutations will actually help the organism to adapt. And that mutation will copy itself and move on to the next. And that, that's what allows us to be adaptable to a changing environment. So to me, this is the analogous situation in social science or, and also in, in cognitive neuroscience. Uh, Richard Dawkins uh, created this concept of mimetics. He said there was a social science analog to a gene, which he called a meme, that a meme uh, was an idea. It, it reproduced itself. And uh, if it were a very good idea and it fit well into the environment, it would be a perfect copy. But errors were made in the, in the mimetics, and most of them bad, just like in genetics. But every once in a while, one of them was uh, better. You know the old kids game uh, telephone where somebody uh, whispers something in somebody's ear and they whisper in the next person's ear. By the time it gets to the end, it's changed. And that's how memetics works, right? So an idea is transmitted from one brain to another brain, uh, but an error is made. Sometimes, by chance, that error has actually made the idea better. And when that happens, it'll, it'll rapidly reproduce itself and go from one brain to another and become a so-called spirit of the time, you know. So, uh, and, and we see this happen very fast nowadays because we have the technology for ideas to spread very, very rapidly around the world. So I think that's the basic underlying concept here. If I were a perfect copy of my teacher, who was Raymond Adams, my teacher of neurology, and he were a perfect a copy of his teacher, who was Denny Brown, and Denny Brown was a perfect copy of his, uh, his teacher, uh, who was Gordon Holmes, and Holmes were a perfect, perfect copy of his teacher, who was Hewlings Jackson, that would mean that I would be a perfect copy of Hewlings Jackson. And uh, even though it's true, I would never probably be the neurologist that Hewlings Jackson was, uh, few of us would doubt that he would be poorly adapted to medicine in this era. For example, if somebody came in and appeared to be immunocompromised and had a basal ganglionic lesion, he would, he would not know about AIDS and toxoplasmosis. Right? He, he, he just didn't have those ideas. Um, on the other hand, there would be certain subjects that he knew a lot about that I would not know much about because the memetics have been such that I've forgotten them, like, for example, neurosyphilis, which he would know everything about and I would know nothing about. So th it isn't really a question of being better or worse. It's just a question of how well one is adapted to the current environment. And so I think 
if you if you have a situation in which people simply copy the received information, whether it comes from the internet or from a textbook, and uh, and they just do exactly what it says, then there's no chance for error. And if there's no error, how will we adapt when the environment changes uh, around us? I think we really will be stagnant, and we will be converted from a profession into a trade. It will just be copiers. Welcome back, everyone. That was Dr. Martin Samuels, neurologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. We hoped you enjoyed hearing from him. In the coming weeks, we'll be hearing more from Dr. Samuels. Next time, he'll be discussing cognitive errors in diagnosis, using his own cases as examples. In the meantime, remember, you can download podcasts of all past episodes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds or visit www.radiorounds.org. You can also contact our team via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All of that information at radiorounds.org. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage, providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. AMA Insurance is pleased to introduce an individual disability insurance plan called Essentials for MedPlus Advantage participants. Through this plan, eligible graduating medical students have a special one-time opportunity to apply for high-quality individual disability insurance with no intrusive or time-consuming medical exams and only a few basic questions and with discounted premiums. Apply now as the enrollment period ends soon. Radio Rounds is also proudly partnered with the Student Doctor Network online at studentdoctor.net. Find answers to your questions about medical school or residency programs. Ask questions in our online forums and get answers quickly. It's fast, easy, and available now at studentdoctor.net. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's great being back with you, and we hope that you have a fantastic week. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm Yojin Patel, and one day, I'll be your doctor. Doctor.